great to be with you this morning. Those of you in the room, glad you are here. And those of you joining us online, glad you have dropped in as well. If you don't know me already, my name is Steve and I am the senior pastor here. And during the month of September, we've been in a sermon series called The Rich Life. Uh, because on the global stage, we are rich or on our way to being rich. And so we've been trying to grapple with that reality, to deal with the guilt that some of us may feel with having more than others, and to deal with the confusion that might go along with that and how we navigate our way through that. Because that way, we really want to hold, take hold of the life, the rich life that God has promised us in Jesus Christ. Um, and so, and not just a life with more money in it, Right? And that means if you're here for the first time, you're kind of dropping in at the end of a conversation that's been going on all month. And I'd encourage you to catch up, go online on our YouTube page, or you can listen to one of our sermon podcasts and, you know, Spotify, Apple, Google, and whatever is your choice. And we even supplement these, uh, these morning sermons uh, with workshops. And the last one of which is happening this morning after the service in Fellowship Hall. So if you go out and take a right, You'll go right to it. Um, why? Because uh, simply money is not something we talk about all the time. And it has been such a great season for us to wrestle with God about it's something so important as money. In fact, of all the things, this is something that Stephen King has even wrestled with. You know, Stephen King, right? You know, the author of like 65 novels and novellas sold 400 million worldwide. You've seen his movies as well, you know, The Shining, The Shawshank Redemption. Any Shawshank Redemption fans? Yeah. And It, right? My son's favorite movie, I think. Um, what is less well known about Stephen King is that he's a diehard Red Sox fan. Um, and even he works Red Sox love into his novels, which I know makes you want to read his novels more because the Red Sox are bad this year, but usually pretty good. Um, but even less well-known is that in 1999, he was walking on a country road in Maine, and a van hit him and uh, knocked him into a nearby ditch. And his legs were so crushed by that accident that the doctors considered amputating his legs. But he managed to pull through, and on the other side, he actually emerged a changed man, a generous man. And a couple years after his accident, he gave a commencement speech at Vassar College where he shared some incredibly blunt and powerful words about generosity. Here, here's a bit of what he said. He said, I found out what you, what you can't take it with you means. I found out while I was lying in the ditch at the side of a country road covered with mud and blood and with the tibia of my right leg poking out of the side of my jeans like a branch of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm. That's a comforting thought, isn't it? And then he says this. He said, I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. We all know that life is ephemeral, ephemeral, excuse me. But on that particular day and in the months that followed, I got a painful but extremely valuable look at life's simple backstage truths. Listen to what he says. We come in naked and broke. We may be dressed up when we go out, but we're just as broke. 
Warren Buffett is going, out, is, is going to go out broke. Bill Gates is going out broke. Tom Hanks is going out broke. Steve King broke. Not a crying dime. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all of that is mostly smoke and mirrors. So I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others. And why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. We have the power to help, the power to change. And why should we refuse? Listen to this. Because we're going to take it with us? Oh, please. Right now, we have the power to do great good for others. So I ask you to begin giving and to continue as you begin. I think you'll find in the end that you got far more than you ever had and did more good than you ever dreamed. I never expected anything like that to come from Stephen King. I mean, a scary clown, of course, but this... This was a level of depth and understanding about comes to generosity that frankly surprised me when I heard that he had said these kinds of words. And it resonates with many of your experiences, of your experiences of giving generously, even when it was challenging, even when it was sacrificial for you. This even resonates with what God says about the spiritual power there is in generosity. It's why Paul told us in that first week of the necessary skills in being rich is to simply be generous and be ready to share. Because generosity for you and for me, it holds this spiritual power that kind of dispels money's influence with the Spirit's power whispering to our hearts that you are more than your money and riches so much so that you can willingly and joyfully give some away. But to fully appreciate th this practice of generosity and its power in your life and in my life, we actually have to dig a little bit deeper into the dynamics. Um, we need to see what is involved with practicing generosity, the principle that's actually at work that we're tapping into when we give generously. The ingredients of what goes into being generous. What does it look like? And then lastly, the surprising yield of generosity. And that's what Paul makes clear in a different letter that he wrote. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15. So grab your Bible, get your phone out, open that Bible app, open on your phone, and find 2 Corinthians. If you grabbed one of those blue Bibles around you, it's on page 968. And once you're there, Katie McLean is going to come up and read it for us. Now, these are radically liberating words for you and for me when we really think about practicing generosity, if we're able to take them in, if we're able to internalize them this morning. So before Katie comes up to share this with us, let's pray and ask God to do that, shall we? Let's pray. God, we ask that you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. We pray that you would meet with us and that you would open our eyes to see, open our hearts to receive 
that we might know that we have met with you, that we have heard from you, and that we would leave changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Kate, come on up. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written... He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Katie. Now, Paul begins with this principle of work in our generosity. And it comes from a very common proverb in his day. Uh, this was something that was actually in circulation in his day, like we have common proverbs in our day too, right? I mean, two wrongs don't make a... Yeah, the pen is mightier than the... Yeah, actions speak louder than... See, as common as that is in our day, this had the same circulation in Paul's day. And it's a maxim from the agricultural world, one that every farmer knows, one that every gardener knows here. Sow a little seed, and you'll reap a little crop. But sow a lot of seeds, and you'll harvest a lot of fruits. A couple of years ago, Jenny and I put raised beds in our backyard, and we've been gardening there for a couple of years now. And um, this year... We had a bumper crop, right? I mean, of zucchinis and tomatoes. That's all this picture. That's zucchini, that's tomatoes, right? I mean, you cannot imagine how many zucchinis we had and how many tomatoes we had. I mean, we ate zucchini noodles, air-fried zucchini with Parmesan cheese, and chocolate zucchini cake. All of that with a caprese salad on the side, right? And we even put it at zucchinis out in front on Sunday morning so that you all would take it. And if you didn't take it, we like hunted you down and forced fed you zucchini. That's how many we had. But to be honest, I kind of expected it, right? Not just because we've gotten better as gardeners, but because I saw Jenny plant two zucchini plants and two tomato plants. One feeds a family, two feeds a village, right? And so I warned her, don't plant that many. And so I knew we were going to get tons of zucchinis and tomatoes. Why? Because of the law of harvest at work. Meaning the more we scatter, the more we gather. The more we plant, the greater the harvest. 
That truism in farming is the same truism that is at work and in operation in our giving as well, Paul says. Just like a farmer sows generously, will reap generously, so also the person who gives generously will be blessed abundantly. Or as Dr. Linda Belleville summarized it, she said, we get as good as we give. So how does that idea hit you? Personally, I get a little bit uncomfortable, to be honest, because I've seen how this has been used and abused, with preachers using it to get people to give their new personal jet, you know, how somehow the poor people give, believing that God will make them rich. And so I tend to be kind of cynical, to be honest with this, and even ignore it. But where does this land with you? Does it feel a little bit manipulative? It's good to remember that this isn't Paul, you know, it's not his version of get rich scheme that's been used like it is today. Rather, Paul is, he's trying to close the loop on his efforts to gather monies for relief effort that was going on. You see, there were Christians in Jerusalem who were experiencing a famine. And they were being persecuted on top of that. And so they had no one to help them um, except other Christians in the empire. And so Paul reasoned that the Gentile church had received so much from the Gentile, from the Jewish church, with the gospel, with Jesus come, um, that they should be able to recognize it and relieve some of the suffering that was going on with the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And many churches contributed to this relief effort, except for the Corinthian church, where this collection got interrupted for some reason. We don't, we don't know why. And Paul is trying to just help them to make good on some of what they intended to give. And so this was his way to alleviate their fears and hesitations about being generous. I mean, maybe inflation was hitting Corinth at this time and the food prices were just out of control, right? Maybe housing costs were just going crazy at the time. Maybe donkeys were getting scarce and the cost was going up. And as a result, they're kind of holding back and thinking, you know, what will I lose out on if I give? And Paul wants them to know they won't lose out on anything. Nothing. Just like a farmer doesn't lose any seed that they plant, so also these Christians won't lose anything with generosity. In fact, they can expect a gain like a farmer gains. Because this principle is at work in our generosity. And it's a principle that's actually reflected much more broadly in God's Word and the rest of Scriptures. Paul wants to assure them. He wants to assure us that our generosity is a whole host of blessings and ways, that God is going to meet us in that. It's not just about one-time collection for relief. He's putting it into a larger theological context for you and for me, to help us with those whispers we hear from our money. Those whispers of holding on to as much as possible because inflation's going up, things are costing more. It's what's going to cushion us. It's what's going to keep us safe. This assures us that there is so much more going on, that there's a much larger principle at work in the very fabric of creation that God has put there than what money is telling us. It's the principle that Stephen King 
stumbled on, I think. And the principle that many of us experience is simply this. Practice generosity. It's a crucial skill to have. A posture to take in our heart to tap into this larger principle to undermine money's influence and whispers to our heart and life. So the question that you and I have to ask is, you know, what exactly is involved in envisioned in generosity? What are the ingredients of generosity? Notice how Paul puts it. Here's the ingredients that he hones in on when he unpacks the sowing part of this principle. He says this. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver fascinating, isn't it? Not a certain amount, not a certain percentage even to be generous. It's as if he gives us a principle for us to enfold into our lives, no matter our situation, whatever our financial standing may be. He says generosity involves three ingredients. The first one is, is that generosity is personal. Each one, he says, Because generosity is for each person. Generosity isn't just for the well-to-do or the philanthropists. It isn't just for those who have extra resources lying around that they don't need. Or just the super spiritual elites. Giving is an opportunity for each one. Each Christian in this Corinthian church... And each one of us is followers of Jesus. Now, if you're here and you you haven't embraced Jesus, you're free of what he's saying here. You don't have to do anything about it. You can drop in and listen. This is what he's trying to say to Christians, to those who bear the name of Christ, to try to grapple faithfully with what it means to follow him in life. And in that sense, giving is for each one of us, no matter how much we have. Sometimes people think that their giving doesn't matter here at FBC because the church is so big, the budget is so large, but we know better than that after this past year, don't we? Each of us giving matters. Like every jigsaw puzzle piece matters to the overall puzzle, no matter how large or small that piece may be, no matter where it might be arranged in that place. Only as each one of us gives will the full picture emerge without any missing pieces of what God wants to put on display for the good of our city and for the good of our world. That's why it matters so much that we make giving personal. And we give to the church where we receive our spiritual nourishment, yes, and even look to supplement that with giving to organizations that kind of stir our heart, that stir and touch the heart of God and what he's doing there. Giving and generosity is personal. That's one ingredient for generosity. The second one is that it's thoughtful. Uh, much, they, each one is to give as much as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Giving isn't to be impulsive. It's not to be done out of a sense of guilt. It isn't to be done out of some kind of religious superstition that God's going to get us if we don't. 
Instead, giving is to be thoughtful. It's to be intentional. And that's why Paul wanted it for his collection. And that's a key ingredient for you and for me when it comes to generosity. Giving is to be something that we're thoughtful about by sitting down and really planning for how and where we are going to give. Even creating kind of a giving portfolio, if you will. That's a plan for a range of the ways that we want to give. And so what we do is we look over our income, our assets, our debts, and and we review our stage of life and the needs that are coming down the pike. We consider the church and, and other organizations that stir our heart. And from there we determine how much we want to give as well as where and when. And then we talk it over with our spouse. Don't do this alone, right? Talk it over with a Christian friend to help us get clear about it. But we do all of that to be thoughtful, to kind of settle it in our heart in order to be haphazard, to be consistent, and even setting up automatic withdrawals to make it possible. Now, how do we arrive at what giving levels? Well, you know, that's a loaded question, right? It's fascinating that Paul doesn't talk about a tithe or 10% of our income like the Old Testament does. In fact, nowhere in the New Testament is a tithe referred to, though it was probably assumed because the church was birthed out of Judaism and the the Old Testament. And that's why 10% has kind of been a historic benchmark, not a law, and why we've started with 10% of our income and adjusted from there. That's why Jenny and I have done. Is debt strangling your finances and not being able to give to 10%? Then Pull back from 10% and pay off the debt eventually so you can move up to 10% and beyond. Have your needs gone down, you know, and and your income increased maybe? Then go beyond 10% uh, before you give to other things in your life. Worried about whether you should give 10%, you know, before taxes or after taxes. That's kind of a question out there. Don't be. If every Christian gave at these levels, there would be an additional $139 billion each year for churches to do justice and evangelism, to alleviate poverty and hunger in this world. The actual difference would be marginal. God cares about your heart being involved here. And 10% is a benchmark to work up to, even beyond as God enables, because generosity involves being personal and thoughtful. And the last component is that generosity is to be joyful. Paul says God loves a cheerful giver. Giving is to be joyful. A delight in our lives. We're not to give it like we're paying our taxes out of obligation or guilt or the the threat of the law. Right? Just the opposite. We're to give with delight, joy, more in the vein of how we give Christmas gifts, how we treat someone else to coffee. After all, when we're giving, we're worshiping God, giving him a portion of what he has given to us, and so it esteems him. It thanks him. It recognizes him. It adores him for all that he is to us and all that he's done for us. In fact, if you're giving an amount out of guilt or pressure or, you know, know, 
from me or some other pastor, or kind of a religious superstition that God's going to get you if you don't, then tell you what, back off that amount and give so you can give with cheerfulness, with joy. Or if you're giving and just kind of mindlessly giving, then tell you what, why don't you stretch just a little bit more so that you notice it, that you feel it, and you sense the cheer of celebrating God in your life that way. That's what's wrapped up with generosity. That's the ingredients of generosity. It's giving that is personal, thoughtful, and joyful. And we do this because of this principle at work here. Sowing generously means reaping abundantly from God with a surprising yield. So surprising and stunning in how God responds to us in generosity that in this whole section, there's only one verse, verse 7, that is what you and I do. The rest of it is all about God and what he does in response and how God gives this surprising yield to our generosity. I mean, watch this. God does not just give to us. He outgives us. Watch this. Watch this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. God goes on. He, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Continues on. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I mean, this is stunning, isn't it? This is, a, this is a stunning statement of what God does in response to our generosity. In fact, it's such a sweeping response. You and I, are tend to, we tend to doubt this kind of thing happens, right? Maybe we get a little bit cynical about it, but it's even true. I mean... We can think of giving at best as like a transaction. Like we give money and they receive and have needs met. And certainly that's something that happened here. You know, he talks about, you know, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, that they're going to give and people are going to eat. Yes. But everything around that is to appreciate that how that's just the beginning. How there's so much more involved, that there's this dynamic divine intervention involved, so much so that God multiplies the yield to a surprising extent. A yield that we may not have connected to our giving or even considered. 
to our generosity. Fundamentally, God responds by pouring out his grace, his favor, his help on us. Paul summarized it this way. He said, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. That's a lot of alls in there, isn't it? For all of life, for all sufficiency, for all things at all times, he's saying that God is able to make sure we have everything we have for need, for life, and for faith. This is God's ability to make sure that we have everything we need, even in the deficit we may feel from giving. This isn't so much so about God giving us an elaborate lifestyle, but a rich life beyond just a life with money in it. God gives even greater grace in response to our generosity. Grace for a rich life where we don't have to feel shame for the money we have in comparison to others. To find gratitude and enjoyment like Bronwyn talked about last week. Grace for a rich life with an enduring and lasting character that God promises with that quote. With how God dislodges money's power in our life when we give. And grace for a rich life with newfound resources coming from God to pro provide for our needs, God giving us grace to have contentment and even greater spiritual maturity. You see, God outgives anything that we might give to a surprising and unexpected yield in our life. He simply pours out additional grace for our generosity. Do you know this experience when you've given? Have you ever connected God's grace come to you in part because of how you gave? Some of you have actually shared this with me. And I wonder if it's even something of what Stephen King tasted as he began to give. But at our first financial workshop, we got to hear from Corolla Contrell and her story of giving a tithe, giving a tenth of what she had. It challenged me when I heard it, and I, I thought, you might benefit as well. So, Carola, could you come on up? Can we thank Carola for coming up and being brave to talk to us? I was struck about your story at the financial workshop, um, which was very impromptu. You were just answering a question about it. But could you tell us, you know, what changed? Like why you went from maybe not giving to giving or being sporadic to being regular? How's that? Well... I could talk for a long time on this, <laughs> but um, the first 20 years of my life after I was married, I became a believer right in my early 20s, and I knew, I had learned about tithing, and we tried to tithe, but we never had enough money to tithe. Sometimes we would, sometimes we wouldn't, and we ended up having a very chaotic life, and we were always in debt, and it ended in divorce. And in 1989, I found myself single. That first year after I was single, I was volunteering at a Christian school in a exchange for my children's um, tuition. And so I was only able to tithe $100 that year. 
because my total income for the year was $1,000. But I knew there was no way I'm going to live this life without God helping me. And so I, I basically was desperate. I said, God, you're going to have to pay my bills. You're going to have to figure out how I live my life. And from that year on, I got better and better and better jobs, mostly from friends that just introduced me to or invited me to work for them. And God just blessed. I continued to tithe. God blessed. He kept us in clothing. He kept us in food. He um, just provided in so many ways that we could possibly not even have anticipated. And um, then eventually, eight years later, I met Bob, and I told him about my history of tithing and how it had just blessed me. <laughs> and so um, we agreed that we would tithe. And we both were not very wealthy. I mean, we started out with very little. And he keeps telling me, I can't believe what God has done. I just can't believe what God has done. It's like, no matter how much you give, you still have enough and more. And we've had peace. We've had contentment. We've had just so many ways that God has answered prayers and even, even things that we didn't even imagine to pray for, we've been blessed with. And so I, I just can't say... I don't know how anybody cannot tithe, not put God first, because then it's God's responsibility to take care of you. It's not mine. He takes care of me. He gives me the wisdom. He gives, he gives us, he just gives us so much. Thank you. So, well, I was going to ask specifically, so how did you feel? I mean, you just went off, and that was good, right? It was good to hear. But so... When you think about it, so what are the things that you feel like God met you in? You said that it became God's responsibility to take care of you. You mentioned contentment. And how long have you been doing this for now? How many, how many Since years? Since 1989. Since 1989. Okay. Gone. So 40 years. 30, yeah. 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 And so are there any specific ways that you, is there a specific moment that you remember like you were going to give and that God met you in some way? Well... I know even the sporadic tithing that we did that first 10 years, we took our Volkswagen in and the mechanic looked at it and said, your engine is like brand new. And I thought, well, we have been tithing that first 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we quit. Yeah. But, um, okay. I, I mean, it's, it's hard. There are just so many things. Yeah. It's hard, to, it's hard to summarize 40 years in yeah. five minutes, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Corolla. Appreciate that. Can we thank Corolla? That's her experience over many, many, many years um, of trusting God, of giving, and what God has done to outgive her. And her experience is so much of what Paul has been telling us, to, to trust God, to give, and to see him come through that as we practice generosity god simply pours out grace for a rich life that that the grace in that rich life is rarely instantaneously it took corolla 40 years right but it comes imperceptibly at first and grows incrementally the longer we stick with it until we look back over the years and we're able to notice this richer substance that god has made the, is the surprising yield 
that God, he responds personally to us as we give. Not to mention all the other stuff that Paul mentions even in those verses of of greater glory for God and, and new worshipers being added. But the question for you and for me with this is whether we're going to test out this principle that is at work that God has an operation. Will we look to make our level of giving be generous? Will we think about making it personal and thoughtful and joyful? And then, if we are doing that, will we have eyes to see and connect God's grace to what we have given and how he has outgiven us? with his grace in response. If it seems daunting, if it seems kind of improbable to you, I mean, for you to experience it, then remember how God has already outgiven us in grace with Jesus. He has come, he has lived, he has died, and has outgiven us in grace with enough forgiveness for our sin, with a life that goes beyond the grave with him. Seeing Jesus means we know God outgives already. Certainly, he would outgive even in this area of life. Agreed? So let's look to God. Practice generosity. Because those who sow bountifully will reap bountifully. Let's pray into that, shall we? Pray with me. God, as we come to you this morning, I mean and talk about generosity, there are defenses we have, there are there's doubts that we have, and we simply bring them before you and ask you to meet us in that with your grace. And God, as we set out to give and as we do give, would you give us the eyes to see how you meet us with your grace? Would you let us see how you raise contentment, deepen character, enrich our lives with your power and your presence. Give us all that we need. Give us all that we need that truly we might live and practice generosity to continue on in it, to raise up to it, Because, God, we want you to be the center of our life through Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You know what strikes me, listening to the sermon and Corolla's testimony as we sing about the God who is all to us, um, is that there is great joy, great joy in God's message to us about what he gives us and uh, who he is and who he calls us to be as we learn his patterns and values after him. And I want more of that joy, right? The joy of generosity, the joy of um, resting with gratitude um, in all that we receive from God. And the more that I'm a parent, the more I realize this because getting gifts on Christmas is great, but you know what I love more these days? Giving them. You know, it's, it's like a sneak peek into the joy of the Father's heart towards us. Amen? So good. As you came in this morning, um, sorry online that you don't have one of these cute little sheets, but all the information is online for you. Could you grab your handout um, that you were given as you came in this morning? 
Um, this is an exciting time of year. We have a lot going on. The fall focus is kicking off next weekend, which is sort of our eight-week time when we all come together and uh, get involved in the same project. And that is starting next week. And um, there are a bunch of really fun stuff that is going along with that. We have home groups kicking off. If you don't belong to a home group yet, if you want to get reconnected because it's been a minute, we would love to sign you up at the connect table in home groups. We have a big service, uh, praise voices. Um, on that, we have uh, lunch immediately after the service with our college students because we're welcoming people back as we launch into the fall. There are a couple more details. So have a look at your upcoming events. If you get the e-news every week, that is your best uh, inroad into what's happening in the life of the church. This is the short cheat sheet that you have in your hands. But have a look at all of those things that are happening both today and the week ahead and that are happening every week kind of with fresh energy. Also, while you have your sheet, I just want to invite you to turn it over onto the other side because we have our finance update over there. Don't flinch. It's actually really good news. Uh, the finance worksheet has just a reflection of our budget this quarter. And uh, church, I want to commend you for your generosity, uh, which fuels ministry. It shows an investment in kingdom work in and through this church, to our campus, to our city, to the world beyond. So thank you for your generosity in these things. It's fueling things like Welcome Week and our youth leaders that are away this weekend. We're so grateful for that. Um, if you want to get involved in being generous towards the kingdom work of the church, you can do that online. FBCDavis.org has a, um, a discreet, quiet, private giving portal. Uh, but if you're an, an in-person kind of person, there are little wooden boxes on the back of the sanctuary and you can put gifts in there. We would welcome you to join us for that. All right. Then tonight, one last thing that we have going on. Tonight, we have a special prayer and worship evening at 7 o'clock to kind of commission this next couple of weeks in the church. Tonight is going to be more prayer than worship, more words than singing. But if you would like to join us um, from 7 o'clock here at the church, we would love to just beseech God for his involvement and his blessing, for his wisdom and discernment, for him to do things among us and in us and through us and for us to be attentive to what it is he's doing. So will you join us tonight at 7 to pray? It would be so good um, to be together. All right, church, it's been a good morning. We have a lot of things going on in the courtyard, finance workshops, lunches, connect tables where people are longing to greet you. Before we go, receive this benediction. May the God who has generously given us all things in Jesus. Fill you with his spirit and his joy. May your ears be attuned to what he's showing and saying to you this week in Jesus' name. All right, this is the part of the service where I say my family version of it, we love you, go away now. <laughs> we'll see you next week.